0: Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about the meaning of science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders, author of the upcoming young adult novel, Victories Greater Than Death.
1: And I'm Annalee Newitz. I'm the author of the upcoming science book called Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age.
0: So today we're going to be talking about books that'll get you through this uh, long winter we're having, which, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a rough winter, for various reasons. And you know what will really help you get through that? A really nice, cozy book that you can get into bed and read. So we'll be talking about some of our all-time favorite books from, like, forever, as well as some recent books from 2020 that we really recommend, and just books that we feel like would be good to keep you company during the winter. Happy reading! (laughs) books are an amazing companion. They're great gifts for your friends and loved ones. And, you know, Annalie and I are actually, this year, we're getting sort of care packages made for some of our loved ones from a local bookstore that's going to be books and a few other little things. And, you know, we highly recommend that you support your local bookstore right now. It's a really difficult time for local bookstores. They're suffering a lot of financial strain. They have a lot of, you know, high rents and, low margins on their products. And, you know, the next few months are going to be really crucial to whether bookstores get to survive this mess. And so, you know, the books we're going to recommend today, we really strongly encourage you to get from your local bookstore.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that indie bookstores have been asking shoppers who are thinking about getting book presents to get them early. You know, don't wait until December 10th or 24th or whatever the night before Christmas is. I never yeah. can remember because I'm Jewish and I don't care. Um, so don't buy me a Christmas book. The good time to get those gifts is now. And we are, worked with our, one of our favorite local bookstores, Dog Eared Books in San Francisco, to send out care packages for us. And you can do that with other indie bookstores, too. You could call them up and or email them and ask, hey, could you put together you know some gift packages and mail them for me? A lot of places can do that. Some places can't. But you can just ask them to pick books out that they think would be really great. Mm-hmm. Bookstore recommendations are awesome. And I just really want to encourage folks who want to give presents of books to think about doing that now and think about creative ways that you can do that, because it's been really fun for us figuring out what books we want to send. And it's just a good way to have happy presents arriving in the mail for your beloved friends. So we're talking about winter reading which you and I were talking earlier Charlie Jane about what is the difference between winter reads and summer reads so yeah. what
0: what makes a good winter read for me personally in winter it gets dark really early it's cold everything's a little spooky maybe and you know if if it's snowy that's obviously there's like this weird alien creature that's descended onto the landscape outside your window and you know snow is weird like you never really think about how weird snow is but snow is really weird anyway the point is it's a time when you need comfort you need comfort reads like you know in the summer you can have your beach reads which are like you're kind of like i'm gonna lie on the beach and just drink a mimosa and feel all like mellow and happy and stuff but i feel like a winter read should be a comfort read it should be a read that's not just like exciting but kind of comforting and kind of maybe a little bit sweet, something that you can kind of snuggle inside, something that you can lose yourself in, something that, you know, has a world and characters and possibilities that just feel like you want to live there. But also just, you know, not necessarily the scariest book, not necessarily a book where there's just like people getting maimed on every page. I don't know. Annalee, what do you think it makes a great winter read?
1: I totally agree with all that. I think that the summer read is always the idea is that you're in an awesome place already, like you're, you're vacationing or something. So you've already escaped and then you just want a book that will, you know, kind of inject further excitement or mm-hmm. or romance or whatever into your experience. Whereas in winter, you know, we're thinking less about a lot of people do go on vacation, although not this year because of the pandemic, I think that's going to cut back on a lot of people's plans. And You want a sense of of family and connectedness, I think, in the winter. I think that's part of the comfort aspect of winter reads is that, you know, I think some people probably do like a spooky winter read. But for me, I think it has to be about friends coming together or family coming together or family finding each other, uh, I think, is always a good theme. And for sure, a book that'll end with a sense of safety, even if it has like scary adventures throughout it. I think that's part of the promise of the, of the winter read is, is that at the end, you'll come back and be safe in your cozy bed. (laughs) Whereas a summer read, you know, you can in that book by like dumping somebody alone on a space station and like leaving them to freak out because, you know, when you put (laughs) that book down, you're going to still be sitting there on summer vacation, (laughs) but in the winter, you don't want to hear it. (laughs)
0: And it's really true that you get lonely in the winter, like people get everybody gets lonely in the winter, I think even if you have loved ones around, it's a lonesome time. And it's a time when a lot of people feel a little bit sadder. And so I think having reads, I think you're so right about like the importance of like, reads that are like full of friendship and community and like, love and fun. I think that that is like, a key ingredient to a good winter read, in fact, is yeah. is the feeling of, like, community.
1: Also, bonus
0: if there's really
1: good food scenes. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're so right. Like, I just want, like, a giant feast on an alien planet with, like, you know, space acorn bread and, like, jam oh made God. from, like, you know, exotic berries that only grow on Venus after we've started growing berries on Venus for some reason. I. You know, there's phosphine. Phosphine basically equals berries. Right. I can just plant (laughs) some some berries in the phosphine in Venus atmosphere. (laughs) All right. Well, so should we talk about some books that we would recommend for this winter that came out in 2020,
0: in the past year? Yeah. Yeah. Annalie, what's a book that you loved in 2020 that you think would make a really good winter read?
1: My first recommendation is Rebecca Roanhorse's new novel, Black Sun, which we both loved. And she is starting a trilogy with this. So I want to caution readers that when you read Black Sun, it will be delightful and full of friends and friends fellow ninjas coming together, but it does end on kind of a cliffhanger. So, uh, but she's promised the next book is coming very, very soon. It's the story of a woman with magical powers living in an alternate version of Mesoamerica. So that's a really broad term just for the Americas about a thousand years ago, before Europeans came and settled and the great civilizations of Mexico and throughout North America, and how those great civilizations produced this war. And so our magical main character is a pirate. She has been paid by a kind of mysterious nobleman to take a blind, badass monk fighter guy across the sea to the Mississippi and to go up the Mississippi to a amazing mystical city where they're going to tangle with giant sentient crows and different factions warring not just for control of this incredible city but perhaps for the world itself and it's really amazing the politics are really interesting it's full of great characters it's got the exact thing that you want in a winter read which is A bunch of different really awesome people coming from different places, coming together, realizing common cause, and going on a literal pirate adventure up the Mississippi to a city in the clouds, which is just super cool. Okay, what's your next recommendation? Or your first recommendation, but the next recommendation of the show?
0: Yeah, I mean, another book actually by a friend of ours that I think we both loved in 2020 is The Mermaid, The Witch and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall. It's a young adult book. It's just like it's a cracking, great, amazing adventure set in a world that's sort of French and sort of Japanese and sort of all these different like, it's a secondary world, but it has all these different influences. And it's just such a rich, fascinating world with all this, like, history and all these layers to it. And there's this group of pirates who are kind of evil, who have a hustle going where they pretend to be taking, like, noblemen and noble women as passengers. And then when they get far out enough to see, they reveal that they're actually slavers and that they're going to enslave or hold hostage the noble people. And there's one young woman who is a victim of this scam, but she befriends this young person and teaches them to read. And it's like, and there's a mermaid on board the ship and there's like mermaids who are angry because the pirates have been messing with them. And there's a witch and there's just like, it's just so much amazing stuff. And the the central relationship between the two main characters is so beautiful and so well done. And the world is so rich. And I'm so excited that there's going to be a sequel because you know, you're going to, it doesn't really end on a cliffhanger. I don't think.
1: No, it has a very satisfying ending, but it also feels at the end like, yeah, this could this could easily be another book for sure, or a whole I series. Want more yeah. of this
0: world. I just want more of this world, and we're gonna get more of it, which is amazing. But definitely, like an amazing sort of winter kind of comfort read is *The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea* by Maggie Tukuda Hall.
1: I think what these two books have in common is both of them have sexy pirates yeah. and. Ocean journeys that are very swashbuckling. I would I would call both oh Black God, Sun yeah. and Mermaid, The Witch in the Sea total swashbuckling <laughs> tales, and they both have really great romances in them
0: too. So that's a thing about that we did say before about winter books. But I think when you're stuck indoors and you can't go anywhere, and there's this weird alien white substance all over everything. <laughs> You, you know, getting to read a book about a long journey where it's like we're going on a journey and we're going to all these cool places and like it can be just really fun to vicariously travel somewhere, you know? Totally agree.
1: Okay, so speaking of weird white substances raining everywhere, um my next pick is okay. NK Jemison's novel The City We Became, which is also the first book in a trilogy, although it doesn't have as much of a cliffhanger ending. I feel like Black Sun really, it's like it is in the middle of a thing. Ah! Anyway, The City We Became, it's already been, you know, much lauded. Um, so I don't have much to add in terms of you know, heaping praise on it. We all agree it's amazing. Uh, it's basically a cosmic horror story in which I, I don't know if horror is the right term. It's kind of gothy, but it's about what the world would be like if every city had the potential to become a kind of spirit person, and not all cities can do this. The city has to achieve a certain amount of cultural importance and size and like historical weight. There are a number of cities around the world, like Rio is one example that have achieved this and New York at the beginning of the city we became, it's kind of being born and it's an unusual mystical city because instead of one person or sort of person slash deity embodying the city, it's five people, one for each of the boroughs. And so the quest of the story is for these five boroughs to come together to fight against the cosmic gentrification of New York city, because there's an evil white, there's an evil white lady, like basically a Karen from another dimension who is <laughs> I love <that>. buying up <gasps> New York City real estate and also bringing pieces from her. She's, she's basically a settler. So she's bringing pieces from her alternate reality into New York City. And these little pieces are like mushrooms and spores and like weird shapes. It's very kind of Cthulhu-esque where there's like weird mm-hmm. alternate forms of geometry. And so the characters who are kind of becoming the city of New York can see this everywhere that like pieces of New York are now covered in like fungus. And of course, ordinary people like us can't see it yet. But I think the thread is there that, you know, eventually once this gentrification from another dimension happens, we will all be like, I don't know, mushroom fodder, but it's like, it's a great adventure. It's a celebration of, Cities as communities, which I love because I feel like we're going through a phase culturally right now because of the pandemic where people are fleeing from cities and they're kind of rejecting cities Mm -hmm. and they're forgetting all the things about city life that make it great.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to add that like, you know, I never dog ear books anymore. It's a habit that I used to have when I was reviewing professionally a lot, but I dog-eared so many pages in my copy of The City We Became because there were just so many funny bits and so many cool little moments that I was like, I'm going to want to go back and look at this. And like my copy of it is just like dog-eared up the wazoo because I just was enjoying it so much and wanted to like be able to look back at some of the best bits.
1: On top of being kind of cosmic in scope, it's also really funny. And Mm -hmm. I think It really is. In Kate Demison, um, she does have a really good sense of humor and she does inject little bits of of humor into all of her novels. But in this one, she's really kind of let her funny side show. And I think maybe that's because it's set in our world. So she's able to bring Mm -hmm. in like pop culture references and just like snarky commentary on New York City life. And so it's really nice to hear that part of her voice as a writer uh, because it's really quite... Effective in this story. So, okay, what's your next pick?
0: Yeah. So, my next pick is another book by someone who was a guest on our podcast, which I'm realizing a bunch of the books that we're recommending are from people who were guests on our podcast, which I think, you know, just shows that we have really good taste in who we get as guests. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) It also shows that when we love books, we invite the people who invite them to come on our show.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It's like, you know, it's both. Anyway, so the next book that I wanted to recommend is The Fantastic Legendborn by Tracy Dion, who was a guest recently on our episode about, uh, about Arthuriana and Arthurian lore and all things Arthur and Camelot and Excalibur. And, you know, I mean, we already talked about that book a fair bit in that episode, but I can talk about that book all day. Like, it is just such a fun, amazing, it's another great kind of adventure. It's got a lot of darkness in it, but it never kind of becomes like what I would call like a really dark, upsetting book. It's a book that's like, basically all about like different traditions and different views of history and you know different legacies like the main character brie is really caught in between different kinds of legacies and you know she's I don't want to give any spoilers, but she's tangled up in this sort of Arthurian legacy, but she also has her, a different legacy from her African-American ancestors and their root work. And it's, very, it's a book that's very like, much like The City We Became, it's a book that's very much grounded in the real world. It's not a secondary world like Black Sun or Mermaid, the Witch in the Sea. It's our world, and it's very much like grounded in a sense of place. It takes place in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, a place where I actually lived for a while, so I know it pretty well. And it was really interesting to just see this town sort of come alive in Tracy Dion's kind of imagining. And it's just it's there's so rich and so much going on. And every time I thought I knew what was happening in the story, something wildly different happened and there's like a really beautiful love triangle. It's just like, it's one of those books that's just basically like you eat it up like candy, but then it leaves you with a lot to think about, which is one of my favorite kinds of books, I gotta say. And it's a perfect winter read because you will just be sucked in. Awesome. So Annalie, what's your third recommendation from 2020? My third
1: and final recommendation from 2020 for the purposes of this show, not for the purposes of life because I have a million other recommendations, on top of these, is a nonfiction book by Sarah Parkak, who is an archaeologist. And the book is called Archaeology from Space, How the Future Shapes Our Past. And there's a lot of things that are great about this book. First of all, just the archaeology part of it. Sarah studies ancient Egypt, which is automatically already super fascinating. And she is one of the people who helped Uncover a large part of the city of Tanis, which is, of course, made famous in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was an ancient capital of the Egyptian kingdom. People had known where it was for a long time, but what Sarah did was she used imagery taken by space vessels, mostly satellites, to look at the area around what was known of Tanis and and also of many many other sites in ancient Egypt to see what appeared to be the outlines of the city grid and there's a lot of different ways that she talks about in the book that you can use satellite imagery to find basically buried cities and she's found a lot of she's found hundreds of ancient Egyptian sites this way. She's also found them in other areas like in England. She's found some hinges, I think. And she's also working in uh, South and Central America looking for cities that haven't been found before or, or settlements. But she talks about the different ways that you can analyze satellite photography to look for things like how the absorption of water in the sand changes if there is a brick wall underneath it Versus if it's just a bunch of sand, Um, there's different kind of absorption patterns of water. If you're lucky enough to have vegetation, vegetation grows differently over top of buried structures than it does over, again, just uh, loose soil or soil that isn't burying anything. And so she has a ton of different tricks that she does. And so she calls herself a space archaeologist because the way she does her work is by looking at the earth from space. And she was a big pioneer in this field. And one of the things that's fun about the book is first, of course, learning about ancient Egypt, which she's incredibly knowledgeable. She's been working in Egypt for her entire career and with local Egyptian scientists. So she kind of takes us back in different little vignettes in each chapter to kind of give us a a glimpse of the daily life in in ancient Egypt. But then she also talks about how hard it is to be someone who is using really cutting edge technology in a field that's kind of an old field like archaeology, like people have been doing archaeology for a long time. She got a lot of pushback when she started saying like, hey, let's use satellite imagery and use computers to analyze that imagery. And people would just she said she got nicknamed satellite girl and not in a nice way <laughs> um, like it sounds like a good you know superhero name but it really does and indeed she's claimed it as her superhero name her twitter handle is actually Indie from space because um, she yeah. loves indiana jones and um but she's like Aww. the better version of, of indiana jones and so the thing that's great about this book is that it takes you all the way back into history it's really fun to read and then she ends it by talking about the future and about how the satellite and sensing technology that she uses could be used um, in the future to build better ecosystems, to protect ecosystems, to change society. And so it kind of ends with this vision of the future and That's partly based on her really deep understanding of how civilizations change, not on the four-year scale of presidential elections, but on the thousand-year scale of empires like the Egyptian kingdom, which lasted for a really long time. She has just terrific insight. She's really funny. It's just a joy to read, and it makes you feel like you're going on an adventure both in time and space. So I can't recommend it enough.
0: Wow, that sounds amazing. And I I would love to read that. And I'm fascinated by space archaeology. And I think it's just so cool that we're getting this other view of of everything.
1: Everything. (laughs) Everything. Okay, so Charlie, what's your next pick?
0: So my third and final recommendation from 2020 is Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. He's probably best known for his novel How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe and Interior Chinatown is his like first I think it's his first novel since then and it is it's very meta and very kind of like it's very concerned with identity and storytelling and who gets to tell what story and who gets to be the hero of their story and basically it's about you know these group of Chinese people in a kind of fictional Chinatown who are, they're real people, but they're also kind of characters on television and they're aware that they're characters on television. It's really hard to describe. And it's interspersed with bits of like TV scripts, About these people, kind of, and you know, mostly they're relegated to being like the Asian sidekick or the kind of Asian character who walks into one scene of like a police procedural. And a lot of the book is about police procedurals and how there's a white cop and a black cop. And then there's the Asian person who kind of shows up occasionally and like serves them dinner at a Chinese restaurant or something. Right. Or if there's like, yeah, if they have to go to Chinatown for some reason, there's like Chinese extras hanging around. And those are kind of the main characters of the book. And the actual main character is a guy named Willis, who dreams of transcending the kind of normal, just like Asian, you know, kind of anonymous Asian guy in every scene role and becoming like Kung Fu guy, because Kung Fu guy is like the one role that Asian people can have that's like better than just kind of like hanging out. On the side. And like, it's a very funny book, which is part of why I think it's a good winter read. It's very funny. It's very sardonic. It actually, I guess, came out in winter, you know, early 2020. So it's a good distraction from the state of the world. But it also, again, will make you think a lot. And it's a it'll just make you think differently about all the TV that we're all binging right now as we're in the middle of like, you know, a winter and a pandemic and everything.
1: Also, Charles Yu has been working in TV. He worked on Mm -hmm, Westworld and he's worked on a couple of other shows. And so one of the things that I think is so great about this novel is that he's speaking from experience. He's like been in the Mm -hmm. writer's room and like these little snippets of scripts are kind of how his brain works now. You know, he's working in writing scripts. And so that's, another like layer of delicious meta in the book, you know, is it's just like, okay, (laughs) he's, he's a TV writer writing about TV writing. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. That's what's great about his work in general is he's, he's, he's so funny and his layers of meta, like, I feel like a normal person can handle like three layers of meta and like the Charles U level is like seven layers of meta It's like the um, Viennese cake of Meta, basically.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a really good kind (laughs) of analogy. Plus, it's making me hungry for Viennese cake, which is just like, mm. (laughs) Yep, now I'm craving cake, and it's all your fault. Uh But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this is definitely a book that only a professional television writer, who's also like an incredible novelist, could have written. And it's just, you know, it's kind of a, it's just a really unique kind of treasure, So those are our six recommended books from 2020. And when we come back, we're going to talk about perennial favorites, books that we keep coming back to.
1: All right, so now we're going to give you some recommendations for perennial favorite books that we love. And Charlie Jane, why don't you start us off?
0: So one actually graphic novel that I keep coming back to is Mooncakes by Suzanne Walker and Wendy Sue, which is a, it's just such a beautiful, sweet graphic novel about a witch and a non-binary werewolf dealing with like an evil plot. It's got that thing that we kind of talked about before, where it's like just full of like love and community and friendship and family and like You know, the supporting cast is just, for the most part, incredibly sweet and supportive and kind. And there's just like, it's a book that really models kindness and handles disability in a really good way, but also is just like a really friendly, comforting book that you just want to kind of curl up with and be with these characters for a while, even if you've read it a couple of times. It's just, it's that sweet and that fun. Annalie, what's your first perennial recommendation?
1: My first one is the novel Hilled by Nicola Griffith, which is a big, fat historical novel. Nicola Griffith does write a lot of science fiction, but she also loves British history. And this is the sort of retelling of the story of St. Hilda, who lived in seventh century England right at the moment when the Anglo-Saxons and other tribes were converting to Christianity in fact Hilde the main character who later becomes Saint Hilda uh, is one of the people who uh, in real life history did a lot of this conversion of sort of pagans to Christianity but in the Book, Hild, she is a young woman and she is not yet really Christian. She's still very strongly influenced by the paganism of her youth. And she is part of an Anglo Saxon culture where women wield quite a bit of power. And this is quite accurate. And she's being trained to run the household of her royal family. And of course, it's not a sort of a royal household of the type that we would have in the modern age with like a lot of fancy shit. It's basically a farmstead with a really, really nice longhouse and some really big flocks of animals and farmland. But to be powerful, she has to be helping the household to you know manufacture food and uh, wool and all kinds of other stuff. And she's also learning to be a warrior. And she's also having some hot lesbian sex because it's Nicola Griffith. And so she's this kind of, I mean, she's almost a kind of non-binary figure. She has a kind of masculine side. She's brilliant in battle and with a sword. She has this feminine side. And that's actually part of what the book is about is how she's kind of coming of age in two worlds, like a world that's a more more of a male world and a world that's more of a woman's world. She doesn't quite fit into either one. On top of all that, because Nicola Griffith is such a badass with historical research, there's just a lot of really interesting detail about what England was like, what everyday life was like for ordinary people, but also For example, one of the sub-themes in the book is the spread of literacy and how literacy was an incredibly important technology for people who were trying to enter what eventually became kind of global culture, you know, people who were trying to communicate with Europe, people who were trying to communicate with their spies across England uh, or across what would become England. And so as Hild becomes literate, she gains power through that, too. And it's basically the power of communication. So in that sense, it's kind of it feels like a kind of a modern story because it's it's sort of that that era's equivalent of the internet. But it's really also just a coming of age adventure. And it's just perfect for curling up next to the fire and or next to the heater or just under your weighted blanket and learning about another time. And just a super badass, but like realistic hero who um, does a little rampaging, does a little cow milking, and then does a little like hot lady sex. Um, and those are, I mean, I don't know what else you could ask for. So what's your pick, Charlie?
0: My second pick is The Best of All Possible Worlds by Karen Lord which is a, just an amazing, like it's actually hard to kind of categorize it. It's kind of a space opera romance. Um, and it's got a little bit of a Star Trek feel. Like it's very much like a Star Trek influenced kind of book. And Karen Lord is a Caribbean speculative fiction writer who previously had written the acclaimed book, Redemption in Indigo. And the best of all possible worlds is like this kind of surprisingly lighthearted book, considering that it starts off with an act of genocide, like basically this group of like very rational, almost Vulcan-like people called the Sidiri are mostly wiped out. Like I think their planet is destroyed. And so basically the surviving Sidiri have to find a way to continue their species, which means that they have to basically track down their descendants who are living on other planets and in some cases their descendants who have intermingled with the local population and bring them into their culture but also romance them. And it's it's kind of like a this beautifully kind of sweet and funny romance of like of manners and like courtship about like different cultures and about who gets to be part of a culture but also how to ensure this survival of a culture. And it's like a really beautiful book that has older characters who are allowed to be romantic and to kind of like fall in love and care about each other. And it just, you know, it's, it feels like a love letter to all these other kind of space opera stories like Star Trek, but also like a really unique kind of unusual version of this kind of story of like survival and cultural continuation and, you know, what it means to kind of continue your species and your civilization. Annalie, what's your next pick? My next pick is... Throne of the Crescent Moon by
1: Saladin Ahmed, mm-hmm. um, who has recently been working almost exclusively uh, in comic books, kind of reinventing Miles Morales and Black Bolt, yeah. who are and and you can get those floppies. So I'd also recommend those by him. But this is a, mm-hmm. a fantasy novel. It's set in a kind of a version of the Arabian Nights universe, I would say. I, I don't know what the name of that universe is, but it's a sort of alternate medieval Middle East, a period of you know great enlightenment during the Middle East. So it's a very cosmopolitan place where it's set in this big bustling city. And it's about all my favorite things. It's a group of ragtag heroes who have powers that they don't quite have control of, who are coming together. One is like a shapeshifter. One has different kinds of magical powers. Um, One is a gruff old man who really just wants to sit at home and drink tea and hook up with his sex worker girlfriend and just kind of have a nice life. But he's sucked into this adventure because an evil king is ruthlessly destroying people in the city and is taking away their rights and is doing terrible things like using magic to cause basically environmental racism. This is like one of my favorite details in the book. It's it's just full of, of this kind of observation. But like the evil king uses magic to take the smell from the tannery section of town um, where they're making leather and stuff, and pipe that smell into the poor section of town. So it's like magical environmental racism, like I said. Oh, man. That is dang. The thing that's wonderful about Throne of the Crescent Moon is it has all of the swashbuckling wonder of like a typical kind of Arabian Nights type story, but it's got all of this texture that feels super realistic and that and clearly is kind of in reference to Arab Spring when it was just sort of close to the time when the book was written, and a lot of other modern social movements. And it has this delightful arc, the adventure happens, friends come together, it makes you feel like a renewed sense of faith in social movements, which is really much needed right now. So check out Throne of the Crescent Moon by Saladin Ahmed. And what's your next pick, Charlie Jane?
0: Yeah, my third and final recommendation of like perennial favorites is Serafina by Rachel Hartman, which is a book that people have been recommending me to me forever. It's another YA book, full disclosure. (laughs) And it's about a young woman who is, you know, half human, half dragon. And she's trying to hide this fact from everybody because there's all these taboos around humans and dragons intermingling. And like humans and dragons have a very delicate peace that has been kept for the past like 20 years but you know you'll be shocked to learn that the peace between humans and dragons is on the verge of falling apart and that humans and dragons are running into some trouble and that there's a plot to start a war between humans and dragons and basically it's it's what you'd expect from like this person who is kind of caught between two different cultures and has like two very different worlds that she belongs to and she has like a really cool dragon mentor but she also has all these human friends and she's trying to like keep a foot in both worlds but also hide the fact that she's part dragon and it's a whole like all that stuff is just as exciting and interesting and has all the things to say about identity that you would expect but meanwhile there's just like all these like interesting court politics and all these interesting little details of the world building that are so just like perfect and fascinating and kind of stick in your head about like the way that the society is organized and all the prejudices that people have and all of the ways that humans and dragons kind of get on each other's nerves and what it's like for a dragon to be in human form versus in dragon form and you know how does it feel different for like how do dragons have different emotions when they're in a human kind of suit or whatever than versus in dragon form. But also meanwhile, the main character is a musician and a conductor. And she's constantly like, while she's doing all this other stuff, she's constantly trying to get musical performances together and like get the musicians to like play on cue. And like this one person is coming in like half a beat too early or, you know, just like music performance issues And there's like a big concert coming up and she's got to get the musicians ready. And that's all going on at the same time as like, she's working on like stopping this plot to start a war between humans and dragons. And it just adds this whole other like delightful layer because it's just like, that's also important. She's got to get the music performance ready. And like, people are counting on her to make sure the music is good and so i don't know i just think it's a really beautiful delightful book and rachel hartman wrote some other books in that world which are also wonderful and delightful so super recommend that and actually while we're talking about saladin i just wanted to second that his miles morales comics are just they're everything that we're talking about They're family they're adventure they're like super fun you know the first two trades are out now and they're just they're very worth tracking down So, Emily, what's your third and final perennial book recommendation?
1: This is actually a recommendation for an entire ongoing series, the Murderbot series by Martha Wells, which is just, it's pure comfort food. And that's what you want in wintertime. The point of view character is an artificial being, kind of a cyborg, part biological material, part computer. And they or it i guess they prefer it as a pronoun it is designed to be what it nicknames itself which is a murder bot it's a it's a military or a security type machine but it manages to hack its control module in order to watch tv because what it really really wants to do is just like watch this soap opera that it loves and it really doesn't like people very much. And it's it's a little bit, there's certain elements of the Murderbot's personality that are kind of aspie. Like it has a hard time with emotions. It has a hard time looking people in the face. And it's very relatable. Like anyone who has social anxiety or is a little bit nerdy has probably had some of the feelings that Murderbot has about like, please go away, humans. I just want to watch my stories. Murderbot gets caught up in a massive cover-up in this sort of far future um, space opera where big corporations are secretly conducting mining operations and trying to undermine scientific expeditions and undermine democratic processes. And over time, Murderbot is kind of adopted by this group of um, what I would call maybe democratic socialists in space. They're nice. from a, a very egalitarian planet that is extremely diverse and is uh, kind of run through scientific principles and and principles of, of sharing property. And they're trying to also fight back against this corporate uh, plot. And Murderbot is reluctantly kind of involved. I mean, Murderbot really wants us to be left alone, a little bit like The Hulk, which might be why I like these books so much because I I really (laughs) relate to The Hulk. Um, But there's a series of novellas that you can read that start with the novella All Systems Red. And now there's a novel that's just come out and there's going to be another novel, I think, that she's working on another one. I don't think she's ever going to stop writing this series because people love them. Martha Wells loves them. There's just always going to be more Murderbot. And ultimately, it is kind of a thriller mystery structure. So once one kind of weird corporate conspiracy is resolved, there can always be more. But the, the true joy of these books is the wisecracking personality of the robot and this you know beautiful found family that it finds itself a part of, like I said, slightly reluctantly a part of Um, And it also deals with all kinds of really weighty issues around corporate responsibility and governance and who gets to be a person, you know, does, does Murderbot get to own itself? Murderbot is basically property. And so a big piece of the book is Murderbot kind of coming to own itself and how that happens and whether it's even really happening. I mean, that's one of the big questions. And so it's fun. It always leaves you in a happy place and there's just tons of it. So if you really need to just spend a week reading nothing but Murderbot, like there's enough out there now, (laughs) thanks to Martha Wells being prolific, that you can really just immerse yourself. So that is my final recommendation. These books, we'll put them in our show notes so you can Mm -hmm. find links to them um and again we really uh hope that you'll find a good book to snuggle up with um and that you'll buy books for your friends and family this winter as presents and basically just remember the joy of the written word in a kind of a slow way not the fast Mm -hmm. writing of social media the slow writing of the book
0: yeah, and do please support local bookstores. It's really important right now. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Our Opinions Are Correct. If you like our podcast, please leave a review on Apple and other places where reviews are. You can find our podcast in all of the podcast places, like pretty much under bushes, inside like little mushrooms, mm-hmm. at like the podcast store on your street, you know, all the places. <laughs> in the dragon's like, lair. In the dragon's lair, <laughs> in the dragon's horde in the cave, underneath the mountain. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's in all those places. Please, you know, tell your friends. Um, we're on Twitter as OOACpod Pod and we have a Patreon if you would like to support us. We really appreciate all the support that we get on Patreon. And that's patreon.com/slash our opinions are correct. if you become a patron, you do get lots of extras. We post essays and Mm -hmm.
1: excerpts from our works in progress. And if you donate enough, we'll send you a free book and we'll even sign it. Sure, We'll sign it to whoever you want, including your pet dragon. For sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much to Veronica Simonetti, our incredibly heroic and brilliant audio producer. Thanks to Chris Palmer for the the music. And thanks again to you for listening. You are the best. Bye. Bye!